Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Paris 2024, you'll be hearing us use that phrase quite a lot this year and we make no excuses for it. For us, there's something special about a year when the Olympic and the Paralympic Games are held. It's when the rest of the globe sit up and take notice of the sports and the athletes that we talk about all the time. And I mean all the time. I'm Michael. And I'm John, and the Summer Paralympic Games will be staged in Paris from the 28th of August to the 8th of September. In Tokyo, Great Britain and Northern Ireland finished second on the medal table behind China. In total, 124 medals were won, including 41 golds. And the man tasked with leading Paralympics GB on the home straight of this cycle is no stranger to the event himself. He competed in Beijing in 2008 and London in 2012 in football and Atlanta in 1996 in goalball. But now he swapped the boots for a briefcase. Hi, uh, this is David Clark, and I'm Chief Executive at Paralympics GB. David, I don't think Great British Bosses has ever been the sort of podcast that likes to lead or set a news agenda. But we must start by talking about the news and the open letter that you have written on behalf of Paralympics GB, 56 partner organisations across the UK sport and activity community. And together, you've been asking the UK government to reconsider its decision to remove the role of a dedicated Minister of State for Disabled People. Just give us some background to that letter and why you feel it's so important to have put your name on that letter. Well, the Paralympics GB, we, you know, we stand for creating a better world for disabled people um, through sport. And of course, through sport means uh, the performances of our athletes. But it's also really important what we do off the field of play, not just on it. And I think, um, you know, we are a member organisation. Those members have uh, have athletes who they're responsible for. And when the recent decision was made to amalgamate the role into another more junior role, we had a lot of feedback from from athletes, from member organisations, all of whom have a social impact agenda and are trying to be more inclusive and put disabled people at the heart of the work they're doing. And to be honest with you, there was a sharp intake of breath about this decision because when decisions are being made about how society operates, how government runs, how how uh, uh, people are, are impacted uh, by government and the decisions, it's really, really important that disabled voices are heard. And, for example, we saw during the pandemic that, you know, at times disabled voices were not heard and that had consequences. And so we felt it was really important to speak out on this topic, not because, um, you know, Mims Davis, who we've worked with before as a sports minister, minister is an, you know, an, an excellent person. I'm, I'm sure we'll do a great job. But it's actually the ranking of the role and where it sits within government decision making and exposure within government decision-making that's so important. And the question I would probably ask further to the open letter is, you know, when the cabinet is making decisions about legislation or about, you know, what its priorities are, is the disabled person's voice in the room? And I think our open letter is merely 
um, not seeking to be confrontational, but is seeking to say, look, we really would urge you to 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 reconsider this decision because we find it deeply concerning that the voice of disabled people will not be at the heart of government. So take us back. When you first were told, how did that make you feel at the time? Well, I think I've got to separate two things here. Firstly, how do I feel as a disabled person? And I feel let down by it. Um, it becomes less of a priority. Um, and for me, a disabled person, I want to feel that how I live my life and how the other 60 million disabled people live their life in the UK has some kind of voice within the corridors of, of, of government. So for me, initially, you know, clearly we will look to work uh, um with with Mim Davies and, and and have done before and are very satisfied with that. But I think this is more of a structural point about where the experiences and the lived experience of disability sits within government. Um and and, and as a you know as a as a charity and as a sporting organization that is constantly speaking up on behalf of disabled people and promoting our disabled athletes and and and, and how they perform. People need to remember that despite the fact that our Paralympic athletes achieve incredible things on the field of play, their off-field of play experience is as a disabled person. And so the attitudes and behaviours and approaches to disability is fundamental to how our organisation operates. So, yeah, look, I've said we were deeply concerned um, and we have suggested that this decision is revisited. Have you had a letter back? Um, not as yet, um, but, you know, we've made our point and we'll see what happens. But the important thing, frankly, was to speak up. This is probably the first thing we've ever spoke out on in this kind of area. I mean, we've, you know, we've made lots of cases, as you might imagine, for participation in sport and school sports and, and, and sort of various areas in which we've encouraged. But I think, you know, this is the first time we've ever come out publicly in this way and said something. But, you know, we do feel it's fundamental to how the lives of disabled people are thought about. Um, right across our society and and you know that's why we felt it was important to do it um it would have been disingenuous not to address the issue given the level of feedback we had and disabled people feel very very strongly that they should be represented at the heart of government decision making so in more general terms david and with no disrespect to your predecessors who have done terrific work is this the new more confident more robust more outgoing Paralympics GB under your leadership? I think this is absolutely the direction of travel that we pointed out when we launched our uh, championing change strategy at the end of 2021. And the, the strategy, as you guys will know, runs from 2022 to 2032. And that is a mixture of best prepared on the field of play, continuing to create that gold dust, those fantastic performances that get people excited on the field of play but using some of that power to drive change off the field of play, I think we would all appreciate that whether it's education, employment, health outcomes, social inclusion, loneliness, financial independence, wherever you look, disabled people face into what might be best described as a sort of less than experience compared with the, the average non-disabled person. And it has to be part of our mission to try and help fix some of that. So... I think it was very much the steer of our of our strategy, as I say, and this is just, you know, a couple of steps along the line in terms of fulfilling that. And in terms of that mission, this is quite an unfair question, but do you put more importance in the medal haul and the medal return that you will get in Paris? Or do you think when you step down, as you 
inevitably one day will as the chief executive of Paralympics GB that actually you forced a bit of change in society. Well, I've only just arrived. I mean, you can't you talk about stepping down. Um, <laughs> no, um, look, I, I just think that people need to think that it's not one thing or the other. It would be totally disingenuous for us uh, to just focus on the totality of what happens on the field of play without in some way reflecting on the wider lives of the disabled people that produce those performances as Paralympians and the wider disabled community. There is absolutely no doubt that our purpose is very much twofold. It is to win well on the field of play and for our athletes to be given the opportunity to perform that the best they possibly can in an ever increasingly competitive world of Paralympic sport. But to use that power, like many athletes have done in many different areas of not just Paralympic sport, to use that power and that brand and those experiences to change the lives of the, for the wider disabled community. And I'm very proud to do that. And if that is what we managed to achieve by 2032, we managed to hit some of our targets in terms of changing behaviours and attitudes, no one will be more delighted than me. Michael and I have been chit-chatting about the Olympics and Paralympics for a number of years now, David, in a uh, mm. professional, in a professional capacity, uh, on the on the podcast. Uh, Michael gets particularly annoyed when athletes from British uh, Paralympics Association, as it was and is now Paralympics GB, and that's what I'm going to come on to. But when they get called Team GB athletes, so is it Paralympics GB or Team GB? Well, look, it's definitely Paralympics GB, but. Um... I can understand why people might uh, be referred to as Team GP. From a brand perspective, uh, it's clearly um, something that we would rather Paralympics GB was used. Um, the reason why we've tried to simplify it is the British Paralympic Association is our charity and our company, but the banner under which our athletes uh, do what they do is very much Paralympics GB, and therefore I think it's quite confusing uh, for public and commercial sponsors and others if if we start using things interchangeably. So Paralympics GB is most certainly our brand. It's our social media brand. It's our public brand. Um, and therefore, it's great if 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 people are, ref are, are referred to. For me, I'm really, really proud of Paralympics GB. Um, it's, um, but I'm also very, very keen to have a positive um, and growing relationship with, with our colleagues in Team GB. Basically, Many people might not know this, but we we, we share an office. Um, we very much run to a different timetable. We have slightly different audiences. We have slightly different uh, athlete uh, cohorts, but we are essentially in the same business. And it's really important that we're great friends, that we promote each other's work, and we work as efficiently as we can because basically we end up going to the same place as each other about four weeks after the other one's been there. So, <laughs> you know, it's really important that we have a great relationship. But I think the Team GB brand and the way that's grown is fantastic. And I think... Um, We've achieved the same with Paralympics GB and both can operate happily together. And I, I jokingly said in the intro that you'd swapped your boots for briefcase. Yeah. But of course, you were part of the Paralympic movement when it wasn't quite as funded as it is now. I know Paralympics GB doesn't get any public funding, but UK Sport gives to the uh, federations who then use the money uh, for, for your athletes and then you pick your athletes for the Paralympics. But you were part of the, the, the pre-regime pretty much, weren't you? Absolutely, yeah. I stepped onto a gold ball court for the first time in 1987 at, get this, the Milton Keynes European Championships of gold ball. That was my first ever international uh, appearance. And I played 10 years of gold ball, none of which was funded um, in terms of training. Um, and 
then was lucky enough to go to the 1996 uh, Atlanta um, uh, Paralympics. We had to raise money uh, for goalball, largely by shaking tins and getting the general public to contribute. Then moved into football, as you know, for the first four or five years of that. That was all self-funded again until 2000 when the FA came in as the funder under the uh, Football for All projects and, and sort of recognised that it was a critical part of their remit that football should be for everyone. And from then on, from a football perspective, uh, we were funded very much through the FA and that led up to qualification for 2004, where unfortunately we weren't able to go to the Paralympics because um, at the time, agreement couldn't be reached on sending a GB team. So we had to give our place up to France. Uh, and then 2008, everyone had agreed it was a good idea. So thank God we qualified. Uh, we were 54 seconds away from not qualifying, but um, gladly a, a pass from me and a goal from Darren Harris meant we did. Uh, so we went to Beijing. And then, of course, London, just incredible experience. And um, one I'll never forget. And it seemed highly appropriate to retire just after it. This is Great British Bosses, and we're talking all things Paralympics with CEO of Paralympics GB, David Clark. This is Anything But Footy, Great British Bosses, with Paralympics GB CEO, David Clark. I was, because I'm a bit of a geek, watching BBC Sports Personality of the Year from 1996, just the other day on a video yeah. sharing site. I think we can say YouTube. They did their little feature, their look back at the Paralympics in 1996. Mm. There was no one there. When you compared it to the images of what they'd just shown from the Olympic Games, it looked mm. like an afterthought. How much has the Paralympics come on and the movement come on then from what you experienced? And you spoke about it there in your own personal journey mm. in terms of funding and things. But but the actual presentation of and the size, the stature, the importance of the event, how much has it come on? Well, we were really fortunate to have some incredible people looking after Paralympic sport in the UK at the time. So the likes of Mike Brace, Tony Sainsbury, um, you know, Bernard Affer, all these people who, you know, um, did amazing work to get us the support, get us the kit, get us the funding so that we could have a prep camp. Uh, we went to Pensacola for our prep camp in 1996 um, and then on to Atlanta. Um, but, I mean, I think anecdotally, um, the... Um, so after the Atlanta Olympics, someone started taking the track up and someone had to say, wait, wait, wait just stop there a minute. There's uh, something called the Paralympics in three weeks. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think it was at that kind of level. And um, the people around the Atlanta Paralympics were super passionate about it. But, you know, you're right about the stadiums, you're right about the venues and various other things. And, you know, I remember being sat on my balcony on the first day of the London 2012 Paralympics and just, you know, expecting a few trickle of people to come in, have a look at the park and wander around. And all of a sudden, this mass of noise started to come up from from the entrance hall. And, and 250,000 people walked into the park. And it was like, what is this about? This is crazy. Um, and, you know, we, we played our first game against Spain, uh, drew one all. Unfortunately, it's the game where I famously scored a goal and then hugged the referee, which the, the last leg were very kind to show on their, <laughs> on their show that night. Um, had to get yourself noticed, hey? Um, <laughs> but, you know, four 4,000 or so people in a five-a-side stadium and, and you know, queued around the block to try and get in. Um, thousands of people watching it across across the country, live in parks and schools and millions around the world. I even got some, one of my old mates from the banking was in a nightclub in um, in Vietnam and saw a, 
saw a saw a video of the goal that was shown on the big screen for it's just totally bizarre and it's that point you realize that the game has changed you know that it's got this someone's done something amazing and it's lots of people of course and you know chris holmes seb co there's, there's there's a whole list of people we can talk about but something happened in london that set a bar and i keep saying you know paris 2024 um it's an opportunity to create the next London. It's an opportunity to fill those stadiums again. It's an opportunity to make it bigger and better. And, you know, London was amazing, but we've been talking about London a long time. You know, in Rio, we had uh, the situation with the money and the fill the seats campaign, brilliantly led by Sir Philip. 2020, I'm sure Tokyo would have been immense, um, but unfortunately with the COVID, that had to be scaled back. So this is the opportunity to have what I would describe as the next London. And I sincerely hope that will still reflect fondly on London after Paris, but we'll be talking about Paris. Do you agree that we need a new generation of Paralympic heroes? Because if I was to go out onto the street now and ask people to name Paralympians, they would probably still say names like Tanny Gray-Thompson, Hannah Cockcroft, David Weir, Ellie Simmons, Sarah Story, Johnny Peacock, and maybe a handful of others. Would I be in that handful of others, potentially? Um, <laughs> joke. Um you would for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's quite funny. I was doing an event recently where there were 16 gold medals in the room if you looked across the athletes. And uh, I did start my speech by saying, if you add all of my medals to the medals in this room, you still have 16. So um, <laughs> don't worry. Um, <laughs> I'm really, really proud of the fact that the work that Channel 4, Sainsbury's, other people did pre-games in 2012 meant that the public had a real awareness of of the athletes, you know, and I was there that night when 80,000 people had to be shushed because they were singing Johnny Peacock's name. That for me as a disabled person, I'm getting shivers now mm. just thinking about that moment. Where else has that ever happened? You know, it was an incredible moment. And there were other, David Weir, Hannah Cockcroft that night getting medals. But, you know, this had never happened for disabled people. So, look, I think we, we absolutely celebrate uh, those those uh, people, um, you know, there are certainly um, athletes from that era who are still hoping to do incredible things in, in Paris. I was with Sarah Story the other day, still going strong. Hannah Crockcroft still going strong. So, but in essence, of course, there's a whole generation of people that were brought up on London, took a look at London and went, oh my goodness, I can do this. And we saw a lot of those athletes come through in 2016 and, and 2020 slash 21 you know, with the games. And, you know, we've had seven major championships in this country uh, this year across various sports in places like Manchester, Sheffield, Glasgow, Cardiff, uh, Birmingham. And um, and it's been great to see that new talent coming through. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Because I think what people need to be really careful about is that, as I say, London will have been 12 years ago by the time we get to Paris. And we do need a really exciting, engaging Paris 2024 with with new names coming on the scene to be that next level of inspiration to drive another generation of athletes to come through. Um, but they are coming through. Uh, it, I think um, you know the exposure Paralympic sport gets now, the uh, investment that UK sport have put into hosting this year is incredible. There will be some names come up through the year, this year, that become heroes um, at the by their performances in Paris, and there'll be names that people, you know, speak about in the future. But you know, to answer the question, 
Um, if you look at something like women's football, uh, and I know it's anything but footy, but you know, <laughs> allow me, just look at the incredible impact that that that's had. And you'd have been in the same position five years ago if you'd asked people to name an in, in England international. It probably would have been quite similar. Um, yeah. It's about exposure. It's about success. It's about the kind of characters we build around these people. And we've got some phenomenal people who are heading to be in our team for 2024. Yeah, despite the name of our podcast, we were gutted when uh, Team GB failed to qualify for the Olympics uh, in the uh, sport of women's football, as you rightly say. A couple more questions for me, Dave, just quickly on Paris. Mm. Obviously, it's the third time that it's been held, the Olympics is held in Paris, but the first time for the Paralympics. And that is important, isn't it, from a from a French point of view, and as you say, from the movement's point of view. Yeah, look, it's been brilliant spending time out in Paris. I, as you might imagine, we've got a number of uh, connections out there. We've, um, you know, uh, hosting our operation out there and and um, and sort of building up to the games. And it's been great to interact um, with um, lots of people in the in the suburb of Clichy, uh, where you know we will be will be based, and um, just interacting with the the kids in the schools and and the university students and the businesses. And yeah, I think. Um, I think there's real potential for for Paris and Parisians and France as a whole to be taken on the same journey that London and Great Britain went on in 2012. I think there's definitely the appetite for it. Um, and, and I'm super excited. And, you know, it's really interesting that, that, that Paris finds itself in this situation. And, and, and frankly, LA 2028 finds itself in that situation as well. When, you know, when the games were held in LA, um, you know, the, 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 the Paralympic element wasn't. So, there's great opportunity across the next two cycles to really have cities who not just kind of host, you know, the the, the third biggest event in the world um, and, and, and get so much positivity out of it, but it being their first time doing it will, will, will mean that the impact will be even greater, I think. And you mentioned LA, and that was going to be my my last question. Is oh. you mentioned about London and Paris can can you know build on that, but that's obviously a European thing around the mm. world. We've seen China, and and as you say, I think Tokyo would have embraced it as well. Is LA embracing the Paralympics, and will it uh, for for twenty twenty eight? Well, I spent a week out there in October with some of my team doing some early preparation for. God, that's a hard my... life. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, if you if you've ever met Penny Briscoe, our director of sport, you'll know that that was a hard life. Uh, Sixty thousand steps completed in the first two days, having landed, looking around venues. Uh, I thought, gosh, yes, yeah. What about the jet lag? But um, I, I, do you know what? I was super impressed by the level of planning and the level of excitement. Um, about both about, about both the Olympics and the Paralympics and the level of detail those guys are going into. Um, the the early planning looks great. I think we'd all all say that uh, the USA has been a little bit of a, a sleeping giant from a Paralympic perspective. Mm. Um, and you're now starting to see, you know, I was out uh, the the uh, World Athletics in Paris over the summer. You saw some great performances by US athletes. Um, and and I suppose this is the other thing that people kind of um, find slightly bizarre about the Paralympics is that there's kind of two things going on here. The one, the first one is the f- stuff we were referring to at the beginning about being best prepared, getting the best medal tally, getting the best performances, the most PBs, the, the, all that kind of stuff. Look, that's super important. It's absolutely number one for us in terms of what we want to achieve. But there's also something about growing the movement and to have someone like the US embracing the Paralympics, hosting the Paralympics, um, 
and 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 hopefully becoming a real powerhouse within Paralympic sport just takes the bar higher. And 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 we embrace that. You know, it's a two-track approach. Yes, our success is important, but the actual advancement of the movement is actually probably even more important than that. Final question then, David. You did mention that you used to work in banking and some of your mm. banking colleagues saw you in the Paralympics. Is this your dream job? Is this job more exciting? Are you more excited about what is going to happen in Paris and Los Angeles and I'm not going to write you off for Brisbane in 2032, despite what I said <laughs> earlier on in the podcast. Is is that more exciting than being head of customer banking? I mean, are you seriously suggesting that this would be a better job than running through a loan document and editing <laughs> out clause 12.3.1? Look, let me be unequivocal on this. This is my dream job. It is a phenomenal place to work. I am very fortunate to work with people who are steeped in this in the history of the Paralympic movement who have knowledge you cannot believe. I think you've had the likes of, uh, of of Phil Smith on here in the past, who's just an encyclopedia of Paralympic results and sport. Uh, Penny Briscoe, who's our director of sport, is, yeah, I think this is now coming up to her seventh, seventh or eighth games. It, it, and, and then we have some incredible new talent coming through, particularly in our social impact work and around our, our communications channels. Um, and, and, and it's just, look, I, I wake up every day and pinch myself because when this opportunity came up last year, I was like, you have to a go do this and you, and you better not, not get it. And, um, you know, it's a very prestigious role and I'm very, very privileged to be doing it. And I find it very exciting and I love it. Fantastic stuff. That's what we like to hear. Paralympic Games from the 28th of August to the 8th of September in Paris. David Clark, Chief Executive of Paralympics GB, thank you so much for talking to great British bosses from anything but footy. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.